Hello and welcome to our Ackerman Center podcast, where we'll explore Holocaust-related topics during the time of our new virtual reality. Today's Friday, April 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Valente, Visiting Assistant Professor of Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. My guest today is Dr. Niels Romer. He is Interim Dean of the University's School of Arts and Humanities, the Stan and Barbara Rabin Professor of Holocaust Studies, and the director of the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies. Hi, Dr. Romer. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Doing good. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We would like to begin by talking about the changes that have occurred in the last few weeks. We have very quickly had to adjust the way in which we teach about the Holocaust, uh, the way in which we teach in general. And so I would like to start the first segment of our podcast by talking about what are some of the changes that you would like to talk to us about. All right. I think when we were um, told that we had to convert all our classes into the online format, we felt all equally overwhelmed and immensely uncertain. And then there very quickly emerged the, the, the thought that most of us had virtually no experience whatsoever with online teaching. And now the idea to convert all of a sudden all of our classes into an unknown format created a lot of uncertainty. But in a way, we had about two weeks' time. We succeeded in converting all our Ackerman Center classes as well as all our other classes in the School of the Arts and Humanities online. And then I think everyone stopped for a moment, and then there was this weekend, and then we were all wondering, so how is it going to be? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Is the technology holding? Do we know what to do? And so then I think there was this kind of nervous silence for a weekend. Whereas up until that moment, there was a lot of frenzy, a lot of activity, then all of a sudden, silence. just noticeable that on Monday morning when we started teaching that I quickly received lots of emails and calls. How did it go? How was it? Because everyone wanted to, to know, what, you know, how this is going to be. We've learned a lot within the last uh, 10, 14, 10, 14 days already. I think we learned a lot. And the, the most noticeable thing that I, you know, learned right away is that it was not at all what I had expected. I think all of us have certain ideas about what online teaching is like. And this is not anything like it at all, at least not in my mind. For me, it was a very, very di different experience. How was it for you? I mean, you also taught already a couple of classes. Yes, I think a lot of the anxiety at first had to do with the, just the transitioning of material and making adjustments to our syllabus and trying to find ways to continue the learning experience for the students, as well as being able to accommodate the fact that many of our students are also experiencing their own personal struggles at this time. Many of them have very different work schedules. Many of them work with uh, the supermarket. They were now heavily 
relying upon. And so for, you know, for these students, we had to come up with ideas in ways in which we can still make the learning accessible. And this is the part in which we have started using, you know, different tools such as WebEx and Blackboard Collaborate in which we can record the lectures for those students to later on also have access. And so for me, it has actually been quite a positive experience to be able to still connect on a weekly basis with the students. And for most of them, they all all seem to be expressing a lot of gratitude to the fact that uh, we as the professors have, you know, put a lot of effort into trying to make this a very smooth transition for the students. I think that's really the overwhelming sense that I'm, I'm getting. We had a faculty meeting just a couple of days ago, and afterwards I hung on and talked still to the one or the other colleague of mine, and one of them said, guess what? I had 100% attendance. And I said, well, yes. You know, what, what you know, was really the new, the new kind of thing that I learned is I would have fallen victim to that kind of sense that, Online classes are a little bit like slow cookers. You set them and then you forget about them. And this has been the exact opposite. If anything, precisely because our students are as anxious and as you know, disoriented in this kind of confusing and very painful new reality of us, they're, if anything, they're more intense. They are more engaging. They are more eager to be there. So this is not us kind of uploading our teaching for four weeks and then kind of devote ourselves to our own lives of sorts. But if anything, all of us are much more engaged with each other. I mean, faculty constantly talk. So how is it working for you on Blackboard versus um, this one and that? And truth is, three or four weeks ago, most of us wouldn't have even known how to, what the names of these things are. And they're all talking about you know, how students respond and, and how you know, incredibly engaged they are. And like you also said, how incredibly um, thankful they are. And I think that's really, really important. And I think, you know, again, that's for you and me, you know, it's been part of our experience all along at the Ackerman Center. And that is simply to realize that teaching is not just always just about the subject that we teach about, but it's very much about community. So part of, you know, what we've enjoyed so much at the Ackerman Center is the extent to which all kinds of people have come to the center and have built these lasting relationships and that equally is true for us and our students. And they are now more than ever eager to kind of maintain some sort of that. So that's for me the big revelation about online teaching that, you know, now two weeks in, if I speak to other colleagues, if anything, they're like, say, gosh, this is so much more work. This is more intense. It's, there's, it just goes all the time. And it, it's really very true. But I think it's also very much what everyone needs right now. I think we feel that we're responding not just to educational desires and plans, but to very personal needs of, of for looking for some kind of ways of engaging and relatedness and, and finding, you know, looking for places where one can be. We have already done a few of these online virtual events. And one that comes to mind was the translation workshop that we hosted through Blackboard. And we actually had a lot of fun. It was one of these events that every year we have it at the Ackerman Center, we all get together, we select a poem that we would like to translate into as many languages as possible. 
And this year, you know, although it was a virtual experience, I think everyone had a very positive one. And it was actually really fun. We had people who would not have been able to be here tuning in from different states, from different loca locations. And so it even also provides us, you know, this kind of silver lining, I would say, mm -hmm. um, is that we are now able to actually be a lot more engaged in, in different events um, because of the online nature we have now had to ad adapt to very quickly. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in general, it's probably too that we were forced into this you know nobody nobody wanted like all of a sudden to move everything into online but it has also created new opportunities and i think you mentioned the translation workshop just uh, 10 days ago we hosted the first online lecture david patterson lectured and he had over 80 people on the call um we've done now for about two weeks every other thing already online we had record numbers of dissertation defenses that we hosted online we had all kinds of meetings between faculty, students, guidance, whatever. All of this has moved online. And I think for now it's, it's holding and it's working and it's kind of creating this kind of curious um, creativity of sorts from which we will also benefit and which will, I think, again, for the Ackerman Center, allow us maybe to do certain things much better in the future. I mean, one of the things that is also quite clear about that online teaching to me is because it's new I was much more conscientious about setting it up, thinking about how I wanted to engage with the students. And some of that rethinking of me as a teacher ought to also translate back into the real classroom. And I think for that reason, being forced into a new situation was for me very, very productive because I had to try out, had to become a little different than what I normally am in the classroom because obviously that doesn't translate directly into the, the um, online format. So I think, you know, It is working and it is, um, it is for now actually truly a learning opportunity for all of us involved. And I think students have been able to tap into their creative uh, minds as well. Uh, for one of my classes, the students had to present over the readings and I was happily surprised to see just how creative they were, you know, not only creating videos, but doing voiceovers, creating films. And so it's almost like the students are also taking this into this kind of positive um, nature where they're exploring different things that they would not have done if they had to, you know, be in the classroom setting. It has allowed for the students to, not just the students, but for us as professors, as you're saying, to be more creative with the way in which we actually engage with our teaching. I think, you know, that's, that's very true. But in part of what propels this new kind of creativity is time. No matter how much we work and other things that we do, there's, we seem to have more time. It also means we're all watching more TV and we're watching more, um, uh, you know, movies probably than ever um, as a way of, of filling these very long days. And, you know, and that creates for us a good opportunity now to talk maybe about a new um, TV series that is um, getting more and more popular. Um, it had been shown already in the UK and it's now showing on PBS, World on Fires. first segment which um, streamed actually this last uh, Sunday and now the follow-up will come 
um, this following Sunday, and then all together there are seven shows. And that's for the year one, and then there's already talk about there being another set, another year and another year. And one of the things that, you know, kind of relates um, these two kind of very diverse um, topics a little bit to each other is what makes this really an exciting movie in my mind, aside from the star power of Helen Hunt and Sean Bean, is the fact that it wants to tell the story of the, hollow, of, of the Second World War, really, from not a single perspective. So normally when we think about TV shows or history books, they tell usually um, their respective histories from one particular moment. And they also tend to tell them in a particular way with a kind of hindsight in mind. And so that has always been a marker of the way how we make sense out of the past, that we kind of approach the past from the privileged perspective of hindsight, and that's how we kind of approach this. This one proceeds in a very different way. It takes one year roughly at a time. So the first year will occupy uh, largely 1939 into 1940, and that's it. The next year will then move forward, and then it goes on and on. And also, instead of providing us with one single perspective, it gives us about five different ones of a series of ordinary lives that kind of intersect in Britain, Poland, France, Germany, and in the U.S. at that time. But it's therefore, you know, without they, what is really remarkable about it, the characters themselves don't know where they're going. And we therefore, you know, vicariously also don't quite know where, where we're going because it's not visible to them. They, so to speak, they live in 39, they live in the early parts of 1940, and they don't have the hindsight and neither do we as viewers. And so I think that's a really interesting new way of, of thinking about history, one that has lately become more popular and has become actually particularly popular um, for TV shows. So this is a, largely at first a British production that is going to be now co-produced by PBS. Uh, but then there was also, it's a separate production of a kind of similar endeavor, which is called Babylon Berlin, which is a very successful TV show on Netflix which focuses on the tail end of the Weimar Republic, but also moves us through one year at a time. And there too, it's really disorienting at first. There, you're surrounded by all kinds of characters. And you can't quite yet make out who's going to be the good guys and who's going to be the bad guys. Well, some you may be right in your guesses and some you might be wrong. So we're recapturing, I think, in, this, in these types of movies something that is innately about thinking about history and time in a different way, thinking a bit about it as comprising multiple perspectives and more smaller pieces without them quite being part of the, the, what had preceded them, what is now and what is yet to come. This was such a wonderful first episode where something that really stood out to me was um, the character, um, Nancy, the, the American journalist, who it seems that from the very beginning, she has a sense of urgency that she mm -hmm. sees what is happening and she is cautioning those who work with her. So there's the young man, um, Harry, who is the translator. And she is from the first moment that she he she knows that the Nazis are already starting to come to the um, Danzig border. She has that very strong sense of um, urgency, and she tells him to, you know, marry this girl, the Polish girl who he um, is dating, yeah. Kasia. 
And it is very interesting that in this moment, however, the characters themselves, so the character of Cassia, she seems almost uh, very um, hesitant to understand where this is coming from. She says, you know, why, why would I leave? This is my home. Um, I wouldn't, I would, even if I were to leave, where would I go? And so we already start to see the ways in which the outsider character of, of Nancy is interpreting what is happening versus those who are there on the ground who are from that place. I think that's a really, really good point that, that Nancy Campbell played by Helen Hunt has this, you know, if any one of the characters has this kind of privileged perspective, then she seems to have that she's the kind of outsider and reporter. But well, without wanting to give that away, because, you know, we don't want to spoil anybody else's um, viewing of this, Cassia does appear at first maybe unwilling to exactly. understand but exactly. then when she does understand actually the real threat that you know is posed now by the invasion of the Germans into Poland, she draws from it a conclusion uh, that is unexpected and really throws you at first and also yes. throws her boyfriend or her fiancé in lots of ways. So it's not just a question of these multiple perspectives that exist at odds with each other and are incomplete, but also respectively how individuals make sense out of them, which, you know, it also contradicts sometimes maybe the way how we would nowadays reassess how they quote unquote should have or should not have acted or responded in a particular moment. So in that respect, I think it is a really, really interesting endeavor and it works particularly well for the, for the, you know, as a TV show because it kind of creates quite literally these cliffhangers, you know, almost, uh, you know, without much effort that you really want to now be back again this Sunday night at eight o'clock on PBS to follow it up. So I think that brings us to our conclusion of our first Ackerman Center podcast. And we want to do this weekly and we will use the world on fire as our weekly touching point and discuss a little bit the happenings in that TV show, as well as anything else that is on our minds or on your minds. So please also feel free to email us any questions that you have. So thank you to our host, Dr. Sarah Valente. Thank you, Dr. Romer, for joining me in our first podcast. Stay safe. Same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ackerman Center or on our website at utdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. Until next Sunday.